In today's episode, from fleeing the Chernobyl nuclear disaster to founding a company selling worm poop and upcycling everything from cigarette butts to used nappies, you're never going to see waste the same way again. From Blue Tribe Media, this is the Good Business Podcast, the show where we talk to business leaders, social entrepreneurs and innovators about aligning profit with purpose and how you can make doing good, good for business. Now here's your host, James McGregor. Welcome to episode two of the Good Business Podcast. Today, uh, I talk with Tom Zaki. He's the founder and CEO of TerraCycle. Uh, in 2006, Tom featured on the cover of Inc. Magazine as the number one CEO in America under 30 years old as part of their coveted 30 Under 30 Awards. Since then, Tom has become a world leader in recycling and upcycling and is on a mission to show that TerraCycle can be a very successful social enterprise with the key goal of eliminating waste from being burned or buried while being a profitable business. In this episode, we hear about how a group of friends growing pot with worm poop inspired a thriving business on a mission to eliminate the idea of a waste. We discuss the challenges Tom faced in growing the business, the secret to creating a successful sustainability strategy, and how it is possible to align profit with purpose. You're not going to want to miss this one, and you'll never see waste the same way again. Now to my interview with Tom Zaki. Oh, I'm fascinated. So take me back a little bit, bit in uh, history here from your budding days as a young entrepreneur doing dot-com businesses to recycling cigarettes and toothbrushes and upcycling. How did that all come about? Sure, absolutely. So, you know, I mean, at the very beginning, I was uh, born in uh, in Budapest back in uh, the early 80s. And uh, I mentioned that only because uh, Hungary was still communist at the time. And uh, in 86, uh, Chernobyl happened, which uh, destabilized the borders in the region, and we were able to leave, uh, and then ended up, uh, uh, you know, in Germany, then Holland, and then finally in uh, Canada. And then I came to university in the U.S. And I mentioned that sort of country progression because it went from communism effectively to the heartland of uh, capitalism. And in the process, you know, I really fell in love with entrepreneurship and uh, sort of the the idea of business and, and all of the really cool things that it, you know, that it brings, you know, from changing the world to, you know, uh, uh, you know, all those, all those amazing, you know, pieces. And, uh, you know, I fell in love with it early. So I started my first little, you know, sort of dot-com company. Uh, we had two employees, you know, so nothing huge, but back when I was 14. Uh, then from there, um, uh, uh, was invited to be on, you know, sort of different uh, startups, you know, that different folks were running. So learned a lot about what it's like to, you know, raise capital, build a team, you know, all those things. And then when I came to university, um, you know, the idea of TerraCycle came to me and uh, ended up uh, coming up with the idea in my freshman year, my first year. And then by second year, I left school to uh, uh, dedicate myself full time uh, to it. Uh, and that, you know, uh, has been, let's say now 15, 16 years and l- knock on wood, you know, TerraCycle has had straight growth, had a lot of great evolution, but it's been, you know, sort of w- an amazing entrepreneurial ride uh, 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 throughout that whole process. Yeah, it looks like you're doing some really amazing stuff. So so when you say uh, you just gloss straight over, you just came up with the idea of TerraCycle, I mean, what what um, what was the catalyst for even coming up with the idea for the business? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, so for us… Um, one of the neat sort of things, you know, to me uh, in discovering the sort of idea of entrepreneurship was I loved it at the beginning for as a as a tool to change the world, you know, and uh, and to create success for you know for, uh, uh, honestly for myself. And then when I came to university, um, uh, and I took my first uh, economics class, the professor uh, got up on stage and asked everyone, you know, what's the purpose of business? Why does business exist? And uh, the answer she was looking for was 
profit to shareholders. That was the reason business exists. And that sort of took a little bit of the wind, you know, away from my my wings, if you will. Um, it was not the most inspiring answer, you know. And as I sort of thought about that, I was like, well, wait a minute, you know, isn't business here to serve the consumers, the vendors, the employees, you know, all the huge number of people that interact with it, noting that it's a very small number of people who represent the shareholders in that overall equation. And that's not to say profit is bad, but I think profit's very good. But is that the purpose? And so I sort of, you know, in that utopian, say, you, you know, university state, uh, was thinking about, well, what about searching for a for-profit business that whose purpose was to do good and leave the planet better and leave society better? And th- through that search, um, you know, we landed on uh, uh, on TerraCycle um, uh, primarily because the idea of waste is just so ridiculously fascinating. You know, it's it's something that we're foundationally repulsed by, so we're not you know, out there innovating in it, uh, you know, talent is not really drawn to it. Um, we want it out of sight, out of mind, you know, it's a gross, dirty sort of thought. Um, yet everything, every object in the world ends up as property of the waste management industry one day. And so for how big it is, it's incredible how uninnovative it is. And that combination to me became a really amazing opportunity and, and why uh, I've since then dedicated my whole life to, uh, 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 to the topic. Right. So that's an interesting journey from .com to – so originally you started out in organic waste. Was that right? You're looking at worm farms to create effectively fertilizer? Is that – That's exactly right. I mean, honestly, you know, my friends – the inspiration for that, my friends and I were growing, you know, pot in their, uh, in their basement uh, up in Canada. Um, and uh, they couldn't make the plants work. And then one day they start feeding worm poop uh, to the plants, which is basically organic waste fed to worms. And that was sort of the inspiration moment that birthed the entire idea. Once you landed on the idea, obviously you had this uh, moment of inspiration around you know, purpose and profit can be aligned, uh, which yeah, 100% I'm with you on that. Where did you go from there in terms of start to result? What sort of challenges did you come across? Like, did, where did you begin to even get something like that off the ground? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, at the very beginning, it was all those classic, you know, entrepreneurial challenges, you know, uh, making a product, raising capital, um, you know, all the things that, uh, that uh, you know, that go into uh, uh, building a business. And at the very beginning, you know, with the inspiration of worm poop, we were literally a product company. We were taking organic waste, feeding it to worms, and then taking the uh, the resulting uh, worm poop, liquefying it, and then uh, packaging it in used uh, soda bottles. That's how the whole thing began. And we were effectively a, you know, a consumer product company. And that grew, you know, but with all the normal challenges you would expect, you know, how do you make a product, get distribution, you know, raise capital, build a team, all those classic sort of entrepreneurial uh, challenges. This was all maybe one step even harder, only because we were forced ourselves to make the product from waste. So there was a lot of uh, moments where, you know, people ask, like, why don't we just focus on making a good fertilizer? Why do we need to add the extra burden of wanting to make it from from waste? And that, you know, it's, it's a fair point, but our mission, you know, is to eliminate the idea of waste. And so that was always sort of the central theme, you know, to this, uh, you know, to everything we were trying to do, even though it added incremental complexity. And we actually had a really interesting turning point, you know, about four or five years in, where at the time we were already at about a uh, maybe six million in revenue, so we had grown, you know, some scale. And you know, we were asking ourselves: Is making and packaging a product out of waste going to help us really, in the end, allow us to accomplish our mission to eliminate the idea of waste? And we had this tough realization that um, if you are a product company, you're going to make the product the hero, and uh, as such, pick the very best raw materials. And even if those raw materials are technically 
waste, you're going to pick the very best. So you would never deal with, you know, something like dirty diapers, cigarette butts, you know, uh, chewing gum, all things that we do today. And so, you know, to support that, we in fact, you know, this is about four years into our business. As I said, we were at about, uh, you know, six million in revenue. So we were doing fine. And this was six million revenue on fertilizer. On fertilizer, on warm poop yeah, in the soda okay. bottle. Yeah, exactly. Okay. We ended up abandoning, um, or and, and you know, uh, that, that's a really strong word. I would say we ended up winding down, you know, the warm poop business and reframed everything instead of making the product the hero to make the waste the hero. And that was a massive pivot. We had to change management teams. A lot of people really resisted that, both investors, you know, and, and other stakeholders. So it, you know, it, it was key, but it was, it, uh, you know, in, in, in retrospect, it was absolutely the right idea. But it was all in this effort to how do we keep our mission as the center point and then be flexible around how we accomplish that. Yeah, so it's interesting. So we we do a lot of uh, work with universities on commercialization of technologies, and we always emphasize heavily on mission, um, because if you're looking at the end game, then pivoting to a new direction or a new product, as long as you're still getting to the end point, isn't so painful. But it doesn't sound like that was necessarily uh, 100% the case. It sounds like there's a lot of pain and challenges you went through in, in that transition. Um, what were some of those? Yeah, so you know, in our, our major transition, I would say, was, and we had a number, but first going from uh, worm poop uh, to effectively a recycling business. Business. And in that, that was a massive foundational shift. So, you know, the, the challenge was, you know, about half of our management team ended up, you know, not surviving that. Um, even, you know, some of our board of directors and, and others, because they just didn't agree with such a profound shift uh, overall. So that was, you know, a pretty big, uh, a pretty big deal. Uh, from there, you know, the shifts that we have weren't as uh, dramatic necessarily. So the next ones were more about adding, you know, additional uh, business units. And I think in each of these major shifts, you know, um, there is, uh, you know, a cohort that uh, believes in it. Um, and we'll fight for it. And then there's others that, you know, may prefer to stay, you know, where we are. And that is always a challenge to bring everyone uh, across the finish line as positively as possible, because you want to change as few people in this process as you absolutely uh, need to. Yeah. So then when you shifted to making the waste the hero, where was that aha moment that you had around upcycling? Because I know that's a big part of what uh, TerraCycle does today. Yes, absolutely. So the um, so once we shifted to Waste of the Hero, the way that sort of came to life is we started our business question not by when the product was the hero, we would start by saying, what product do we want to make? And then how do we make that product from waste? When the waste became the hero, we said, you know, we, we shifted the thought process to what waste do we want to collect or where is there interest in collecting waste? And then what can we make that into? Right. And it may seem similar, but it's actually foundationally different. And in what we can make it into, we always look at three things. First is the waste reusable. Now, that's quite limited, but you can do that with things like toys, electronics, uh, clothing, you know, in reuse. Then we look at is upcycling possible? Upcycling is where you take like juice pouches and make them into backpacks, for example, or other, other such things. And we are quite large at upcycling. And I think we're actually the world's largest upcycling company out there today in a total volume point of view. But it's still only maybe 1% of the total waste uh, we collect. Um, you know, uh, uh, So relative to the overall scale, upcycling is really, really important and valuable for getting people excited, under- especially kids understanding you know, how it works. So it's very obvious. Um, it's really you know, sort of this idea of sizzle, let's say, but it's not a major volume driver. You know, the major volume driver to solve waste is the science of how do you take it apart? You know, how do you uh, take a cigarette, for example, and shred it and separate the ash, tobacco and paper and, you know, compost certain parts and recycle others and, and so on and so forth. That's exactly what I was about to ask you. There must be a stack of science that sits in behind some of these products that you're trying to bring in and work out how to upcycle. So how, how does that work with, is that something you do in-house in TerraCycle or you're partnering with research organizations and universities? It's both, right? So we have a uh, a 
fantastic R&D organization uh, here in our headquarters in Trenton, New Jersey. And we uh, have a whole floor of laboratories. So we really focus on how do we uh, drive as much science ourselves. But we also uh, work a lot with our industrial partners, uh, companies like uh, Suez, Waste Connections, now Itochu. These are large organizations that have made strategic investments into TerraCycle. And they can really bring a lot of uh, support uh, to us as well. And then the third is, you know, the different partners throughout our supply chain, whether it's our uh, uh, sponsors, uh, you know, like brands who fund our programs, retailers, all the way to uh, universities and uh, and other organizations as well. So we try to, you know, try to collaborate as much as possible, but we do have quite a lot of uh, science in-house. Can you give me an example of, of a project where you've taken it? Say, for example, I noticed at Colgate with um, you know, toothbrushes recycled into what looked like kids' play equipment. Yeah. Can you, can you give us an example about how how a project would work. Yeah, how do you how do you go from toothbrushes to play equipment? Absolutely. So, you know, this all begins with uh, with Colgate, right? So Colgate in Australia, for example, uh, and I believe New Zealand funds uh, our ability to create a national recycling platform for, in this case, toothbrushes and uh, toothpaste tubes. So what's important to note is what makes a toothbrush or toothpaste tube today not recyclable in Australia in your normal, say, council programs is not because it can't be, but it's because it costs more to collect and process than the results are worth. So waste management companies tend not to you know, get involved in it. So the first thing we need is we need a, a stakeholder, in this case like Colgate, who is uh, willing to fund the ability for us to collect and recycle nationally these materials. So the first thing we do is set up a program, and you can access that by going to uh, terracycle.au uh, or .nz uh, to be able to uh, uh, see these various programs. And you know, beyond Colgate, there's a huge range of programs uh, that we have uh, in Australia and New Zealand on uh, uh, to be able to collect and recycle different things. So they fund our ability to do this, and then people can sign up, become a collection point. Uh, there's absolutely no cost to join, and uh, we provide all uh, or cover all the shipping costs through the funding of a company like Colgate. And from there, you can then collect uh, any brand of that category of waste. You don't have to collect just the sponsoring brand. Then we pick up the waste from your location and effectively create the sort of national system where you can now collect and recycle these materials. And then our team of scientists look at how do we convert those materials uh, into new building blocks, if you will. Uh, in the case of a uh, two brush, we shred it, we separate the nylon, which is the bristles from the handle, you know, from from uh, uh, all sorts of different polymers. We, uh, If it's a toothpaste tube, which is a polyethylene combined with aluminum, that's a plastic combined with aluminum, we again look at how do you separate all that and then make it into new materials, can that, which then we can work with a playground company to leverage that and make it into, say, a playground uh, that can then be deployed for uh, for schools in need. That would be uh, an example of how something like that is built and uh, and comes together. And, you know, we work in, in the particular playground example, we do work with Colgate then to think about, is there a neat way to, uh, you know, create a contest or something like that so people can um, participate through, you know, through a retailer or some other uh, avenue. Mm -hmm. So does does the team at TerraCycle come up with the idea for a playground? So working with a brand like Colgate or which pick a manufacturer with a waste stream, um, is that is that what the value proposition that TerraCycle brings to someone like Colgate is? Yeah, you identify the opportunity for the waste, you bring the R and D capability to turn that into something useful, as well as um, I guess the innovation and nous to come up with something clever with it. Well, so it's the it's managing the entire supply chain top to bottom, right? So um, you know, take a Colgate. It's not just saying you know let's do a playground. It's managing the entire national 
network of toothpaste tube and toothbrush recycling, which has to do with, for example, how is it collected, you know, finding folks that are interested in uh, in collecting, getting them all the resources and tools that they can do so, incentivizing them, uh, supporting the logistics. Then once the material comes in, uh, managing that industrial supply chain behind the scenes by taking all those used toothpaste tubes and toothbrushes, sorting them, recycling them into new materials, then finding companies who want to use those materials to make new products. And then uh, uh, from there, thinking about the final step, which is how do we drive value so that it's exciting for a company like Colgate to be able to you know, fund and continue to fund and grow their investment in the national infrastructure to collect and recycle this category of waste. So there's a lot there. And it's that overall uh, supply chain management that uh, we support and take on. Right. Okay. That, that makes sense. So yeah, that, that whole complex back-end supply chain is probably really where the value proposition is that someone like TerraCycle can bring than other than someone in their backyard trying to uh, create plastic plates out of um, bread clips or something. Yeah. And then, you know, the ability to try to do that uh, for many, many different waste streams, you know, not just in this example, toothpaste tubes and toothbrushes. Like in Australia, for example, we do contact lenses with uh, Bosch and Loam, all the way to bread bag closures to cosmetic waste with a number of different companies uh, to, you know, home care, personal care waste, coffee capsules, uh, even things like the Australia Post mailing sachets. And the list just goes on and on and on. So it's, it's the ability to then take that thinking and apply it to a wild range of uh, products, you know, from pens to toys to even balloons and, you know, whatever uh, today there is not a recycling solution for. Yeah, awesome. Um, so what does TerraCycle look like today? I've seen some stats on you. You've got two, over 200 million people recycling. What countries in? How big is the business? How many employees? Yeah, absolutely. So we're um, about 350 office-based uh, team members. We operate in 21 countries around the world. So that's Canada, US, Mexico, Brazil, Australia, New Zealand, uh, Japan, Korea, China, and then all of uh, Western Europe. And we're now in the process of opening in Thailand, uh, as well as India, and then more countries in that sort of uh, Southeast Asia region as well, because there's a lot of uh, waste issues there that we really think we can support quite well. Um, we also collect about a million pounds of hard to recycle waste per um, uh, per week, everything from cigarette butts to dirty diapers, you know, you name it, we're able to collect and recycle. So again, really bringing recycling to those categories that have never seen it before. Right. And do you, you run as a for-profit business? Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Um, with the exception of our operation in uh, Thailand, and India, which is run as a nonprofit. In most cases, we try to run as a for-profit. Now, we don't, you know, we run what I would call as a social uh, for-profit, which uh, means that we're not really focused on maximizing profit. We really reinvest all of our profit into new waste innovation to bring new ideas, you know, and, and new ways to rethink waste. Uh, but we are technically a for-profit in uh, 21 countries and then in Thailand and India as a nonprofit. So where do you see, cast yourself into the future 10 years? Where do you see TerraCycle 10 years from now? Well, my, my big hope is is uh, that we are, you know, obviously significantly larger and bringing more solutions uh, to the world of waste, whether it's making things recyclable, making them from recycled materials, all the way to making them reusable. And we hope that we also inspire uh, a lot of folks in the uh, in the process so that we create an ecosystem around this type of innovation. Currently, I mean, in Australia, it's probably happening around the world, is this uh, recycling waste crisis uh, that we've got going on where people have on good faith sorted their plastics and their glass only to be shocked that they're being stockpiled in warehouses or being shipped off to other countries. Where do you see that current situation unfolding in the future? Well, I think it's not. Overall, recycling is in a very challenging position globally, and it's really, really tough. You know, So the three main reasons recycling is hurting is because oil prices are cheap, which is what recycling competes against. Also, uh, end markets like China, who used to take all the material are no longer accepting a lot of this material. That's also a major challenge. It's not just China, by the way. It's other countries as well where we're seeing this type of effect. Uh, 
effect come in. And then the third is actually the quality of the waste is going down. Waste itself, the packaging and so on that we put in our garbage is progressively less exciting for recyclers to go out there and collect and recycle. And the reason it is, it's becoming lighter. So there's less material to recover and more complicated, which means you have to put more processing investment into it before you can recover any value. And uh, so that's a very massive macroeconomic challenge. Now, TerraCycle, ironically, is not really affected by this. You know, we've had our best years of growth uh, while the recycling industry is overall decreasing. And that's because we set the, you know, we, we set the business models differently. Instead of only focusing on the value of the raw materials that we recover, we use those as a subsidy and in the programs, but the programs are all in all funded by brands and retailers and other stakeholders. So we're not as much dependent on, on those major factors that are hurting recycling overall. But I think if we zoom out, you know, there is this waste crisis and the waste crisis, I believe, is only going to get worse and worse. And so we really as consumers need to rethink, you know, how we contribute to this and uh, and our relationship really with disposable products all in all need to be you know seriously considered because I don't think the recycling industry is set up in a way that it's going to be able to solve this uh, anytime soon. I really love the business model you guys are set up. I think it's a really clever way to show how you can generate a sustainable business model based on an environmental social purpose. Uh, and I think there's some really good examples out there for other, other businesses or other leaders that are trying to work out how they're going to um, struggle with some of these upcoming environmental social impacts that their businesses can uh, have a positive impact on. So if you could give one piece of advice to someone who's listening to this podcast, who's you know, maybe they're a um, chief sustainability officer is about to pitch a new idea or a new product uh, or a business or trying to uh, even create a new business from scratch, which has a social purpose, what sort of advice would you give someone like that? Yeah, so I think the, um, you know, if you're inside a company looking to embed sustainability into your organization, I think the most important thing to do is to frame it in how is this going to benefit the organization in its normal goals, you know, whether that's increase in sales, whether that's increase in market share, whether it's getting incremental distribution, you know, whatever those normal business goals that frankly have nothing to do with sustainability. Those are the goals that you want to really frame your sustainability program in because if you can frame it in such a way and it resonates, then that will be the real formula uh, and and uh, to be able to get it to scale and survive, you know, some good-hearted person helping you get the program because it's the right thing to do. And this is very challenging because usually in sustainability, folks are are hoping that, you know, the the cause, you know, that they're inventing a program for. In our world, it's, you know, solving waste and recycling that things that are hard to recycle is is important on its own. And while it may be, you know, uh, important, you need to frame it in what is the most important for that organization. Because if you do that well, that will allow the program to scale brilliantly and survive, you know, the uh, stakeholders that uh, fought to make it happen. Yeah, love it. So our team's mantra is um, sell them what they want, but give them what they need. Um, and it's it's sustainability by stealth. So if you're not solving yes. a painful problem, which aligns with the business's core business, whether it's you know, selling carpet or building buildings, then your sustainability idea is doomed for failure, uh, I think. So um, yeah, great piece of advice. So as someone listening to this podcast, like, what, what would you like people to do after listening to this? Well, so if you'd like to participate in, in TerraCycle, you know, definitely check out terracycle.com.au in Australia. And there's a number of free programs you can uh, you can sign up and leverage there. Um, and if you're in New Zealand, you can just hop over to uh, the New Zealand website as well and participate there. And we also have a really exciting new platform coming to Australia next year uh, called Loop, which is all about shifting from single-use disposable products and packages uh, that the consumer uh, owns in the end and contribute to the waste crisis to durable refillable products and packages that consumers simply borrow. I'm sort of trying to bring the milkman model back, but in an incredibly model, uh, sorry, in an incredibly modern way. And if people are interested in that, then uh, they can check out buydurable.com uh, and you can sign up there to get in line to be made aware of when uh, this is coming to uh, 
Australia, but it'll be sometime next year when it should be launching. Awesome. Sadly, I'm old enough to remember the Milkman days. I'll have to explain to my kids what that all means <laughs> <laughs> at some point. Um, so if we wanted if we wanted to learn more and get in touch with you, what's the best way that they could connect? Yeah, the best way, I mean, for me personally, you know, LinkedIn, I definitely do check that every uh, every once in a while. And then again, terracycle.com.au for our local Australia team. They're based in our offices in Sydney and uh, they would love to uh, chat with anyone uh, locally as well. Awesome. Right. So l- let's wrap up with what we call the mad minute. So five quick questions in 60 seconds. So what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? That failure is only learning and that the real, the real negative is if you don't learn from your failures. What's your favorite business book? And you can plug your own here if you like. Well, I'm, you know, I, I have written a number of books, but I've, my, actually my favorite is not one of mine, but uh, Natural Capitalism by uh, Paul Hawken. Oh, good. Yeah, I've got that one actually sitting on my bedside table at the moment. Favorite business tool or resource for delivering impact through the business? Transparency. And if you, if, you go, if you could go back in time and give your 20-year-old self some advice, what would it be? You know, when I was 20, this, I, was, I was starting this and like I, I would say I would come back, you know, and tell them everything I learned. You know, that would be the, you know, so it depends on how much time I had with my 20-year-old self, but I try to impart all of the painful lessons I learned along the way, as many as I would listen to it as a 20-year-old person, that is. I was just going to say, would your 20-year-old self listen to it? Yeah, let's see. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> really appreciate your time. I know it's uh, early over there in the morning and love the business model, love what you guys are doing and hope to see a lot more of TerraCycle here down under, but also around the rest of the world. So thanks for joining us today. Yeah, well, I really appreciate your time. It was great to connect. So I told you you'd never see waste the same way again. Uh, what a great business model addressing a major problem facing the world. So if you've been inspired by today's episode and you've got a great idea to change the world, the first thing you need to do is get people to buy into your big idea. So to make things as easy as possible, we've put together a free ebook that you can download through the show notes called Selling Sustainability, and it'll give you an easy-to-follow seven-step fill-in-the-box framework to help you craft a compelling message to get people to buy into your big idea. And talking of show notes, if you want to access the show notes for today's episode, you simply visit bluetribe.co forward slash podcast and check out episode number two. Also, please take the time to subscribe and leave a rating. Uh, Solving many of the challenges facing our planet is a team sport, and doing this helps the show to get more people just like you. So coming up in the next episode. It was also my first time seeing abject poverty up close. And I thought, why am I on such a selfish trajectory to try and prove uh, some bully wrong who I'm never going to see again when this kind of, of issue exists in the world? And so that's when I uh, reevaluated my priorities and decided that uh, I wanted to make um, a living by, by doing good and helping solve some of the world's most greatest challenges. From dealing with bullying to being awarded the prestigious Forbes 30 Under 30 in the social entrepreneur category, our next guest also successfully pitched his company on CBC's Dragon's Den, where he was able to secure a deal with two dragons. Make sure you check it out. Thanks for listening to Good Business Podcast. I'm James McGregor. Until next time.